Welcome to Untangling Christianity. On this show, John and Greg attempt to diffuse destructive ideologies, unsnarl confused ideas, consider love and truth in Christianity. I'm John Polstra. And I'm Greg Monteith. Well, like you said last time, we're back. Or maybe it was the time before. We weren't even sure if we were going to be back this week. But thanks to Anna in the Facebook group for two posts in one day, which was awesome to see. We have some good material to work with here. So thanks, Anna. Yeah, this is really good. I don't know who's more fired up here, you or me. (laughs) Oh, I don't think I'm that fired up. Am I that fired up? Oh, we'll see. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I let's see. I wanted to focus on the... So Anna had posted something by a person by the name of Mick Mooney. Mm. And I really liked the kind of the thoughts and questions that Anna raised about this in terms of... Now, how would you even summarize this guy's article or what... I, well, let me let me backtrack. I would say she's kind of saying, you know, what is it... Well, she asks it. She says, my question is, what does it mean that scripture is inspired by God? What does that mean? And I glommed onto that because I think that's been completely mm. used in some really weird, extreme ways that maybe don't make sense. Yeah. Um. So that was kind of her question. That was part of her question there. And then uh, Mr. Mooney appears to be saying, I think the end of the article here, or his little post, which he posted, I guess, elsewhere on Facebook, but somehow she linked it into the group. Mm-hmm. said the truth is that we all have our interpretation regarding what the gospel actually is what it promise what promises it contains what power it extends and whom it includes the gospel according to how i see it is the source from which i draw my courage my desires my hope in this life whatever the gospel is according to you i hope its results upon your life is one of empowerment and its deep source of grace freedom courage and love within you so that was kind of the conclusion of the post there. So mm-hmm. what got you fired up and where did you want to go? Well, first of all, huge, like, hello, Anna. Nice to have you back. And he, I would say just big kudos to Anna. I was really impressed. I, 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 you know, she wrote one post and it was lengthy uh, um, and that's good. A lot of material there. And then she came back like almost right away with this one. And she started it off by, you know, um, I'd love to hear interactions with this. I read this today and it just struck me as something that needed deeper thought. And and after I read the, the article, I thought, man, this is really impressive. I was impressed actually with Anna's you know, taking a step back because I, I thought the content of the article might really resonate with her and and really kind of grab her. And why and do you yet, say that? Well, I mean... Oh, she's taken issue with the eagle, hasn't she? Anna's... Anna's <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I, by the way, Anna has a special place in my heart because she's the very first listener to ever email us. I know. Like, and she was with us years, for... Two years yeah. ago. A long yeah. time ago, she emailed us out of the blue and was like, hey, guys. And yeah. That's where it all started. So continue. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Just just many, many things. I guess the, through the kind of the history of our interactions back and forth. I, 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 in other words, I wouldn't have been overly surprised if Anna would have said, this is a really, really great article. What do you think about it? And instead, 
Anna's kind of, you know, putting it out there, but saying, hmm, not too sure about this. And then she's got a whole bunch of material there. So I, um, you know, in terms of what she's not sure about and, and where she wants to go with that. Um, but yeah, that it's interesting. You read the last two paragraphs of this piece. Uh, this, I guess so, this is somebody's Facebook post, this uh, Mick Mooney's Facebook post. And and I just thought to myself as I was reading through this, you know, um, yeah, I, I I had some 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 big big issues I think with some of this, you know, the, the last paragraph there. I mean, it, we just start there. The gospel, according to how I see it, is the source from which I draw my courage, my desires, and my hope in this life. Whatever the gospel is, according to you, I hope it res- its results upon your life. Its result upon your life is one of empowerment, and it's a deep source of grace, freedom, courage, and love within you. And I, and I think, on the one hand, I, 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 you know, the need for grace and freedom and courage and love are there. On the other hand, the need for um, critique, the need for uh, change, the need for um, rebuke, the need for all of these things are parts. These are these are, you know, I need all of these things in my life. You know, I'm not saying that that. People are an even mix of of good and bad, or of you know capable and incapable. But at different times and in different ways, we need different responses. And I think that the message that I'm taking out of this, first of all, is one of a lot of confusion between the idea that um, interpretation is necessary and the idea that interpretations are necessarily individual and unique, or so unique or sufficiently unique. That, you know, a particular interpretation couldn't be wrong. You know, mm. so if you, if you think about something like a musical score or a play, you know, I can, I can play all the notes on a musical score correctly and I can still play the piece incorrectly because I haven't taken consideration of the indications of how loudly or softly to play. I can speak all the words to a given part of the play correctly and still get it completely wrong. Because I haven't taken, I can be emotionally flat where I need to be intense. I can be happy where I need to be sad. In other words, I'm, I'm not connecting well enough with the content. And, and that's even a case where you're, you know, you're getting the bulk of it right. You're getting the notes right. You're getting the words right. So I would say, you know, I remember my mentor talking about this, you know, Greg Lauer talking about this. There may be four good interpretations to a given passage of scripture, but there aren't 14 or 40. <laughs> so, you know, if, if, you, if you've got 40 friends and they're, whatever, they're Christians or they're not, or they're kind of interested in interpreting the Bible, and they come up with 40 different, you know, perspectives about what it means, about what the gospel is, well, pardon me, a lot of you are probably wrong. You might all be wrong. You know, sufficiently wrong to make the whole presentation not a presentation of the gospel. So, you know, and then I guess this is the other thing that I thought was quite interesting, and maybe this is where... It also tended to get blurred. So this notion about, you know, interpretation, can be, does the necessity of interpretation mean that interpretations are necessarily very individual? So individual that we can't make a, a, a call, if you like, on whether one is better or worse. And I would say, no, we absolutely, we're dealing with better and worse. And I think with this, with whatever Mick may be, you know, pushing back against, um, I, I think there are some, obviously I, you encountered people and I, I encountered one just the other day and it was just, uh, an incredibly oppressive pers- perspective, you know, where you get this sort of, there's one way to do it. There's only one way to see this, you know, 
And if and you I don't think, have their way, then you're wrong. And you're wrong, <laughs> you know? But I think with this, there to me, there's so many different, there's so many layers here. Okay. So, and the, what, what triggered this for me was when I was doing some of my reading on Job, I got a fairly somewhat scholarly commentary. And what what really struck me as I read it was how the author of this section on Job said, well, you know, this part, these chapters of Job, we are pretty confident fit with the rest of it. But hmm. we think there's some pieces missing. Hmm. And these other pieces over here, we think these probably go, but we're not totally quite, we're not totally sure. Mm-hmm. And it was this idea that you and I can open a Bible and find the book of Job and find however many chapters there are in the book of Job. But what struck me was, I feel like we're so removed from when all this stuff was written and how it was put together that it's yeah. so common today to just be like, well, you know, by the way, and this is, I think, the time with it, scripture being inspired, you know, all scripture, not just part of it, but all scripture is inspired. So, how many chapters are there in Job? Do you know off the top of your head? 40, 40 something. Okay. So all 40 something chapters of Job are, in, are inspired. And the 40 that we have here are exactly like, that was exactly what we're supposed to have. And that's, a, ex, that's exactly what was written. That's hmm. like, no, it's way more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. When, when you go back to like, it's not like we have the, the book from beginning to end. And I think it's that way with a lot of the Bible. It's like nobody has like the original copy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so not only do we have, we don't have the original copy. If you back up a step further, then you have the people that wrote the stuff down and them being inspired by God, whatever that means. And then it's all these years later when now you have, you have the documents, the way they've been put together, which I'm guessing involves some level of interpretation. And now you have us all these hundreds and th- or thousands of years later adding our own interpretation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a, there's a pretty big remove there. Um, you know, this is, this whole area is generally referred to as text criticism. It doesn't mean you're being critical. It's, it's this process of compiling a text on the basis of ancient manuscripts, fragments, you know, pieces, um, we don't have any full copies, to the best of my knowledge, of any of these books. Now, this did change, and, and, and there's a fairly, what, what I see at least as a fairly uh, powerful indication, both uh, telling to the skill of the text critics that have, over the course of time, compiled this, you know, these these manuscripts and fragments into what we now know as the Bible, but also, and and, and perhaps more so, that there is something else going on here. And I would say, as a Christian, I would say, yeah, God has an interest. God has a strong interest, let's say, in these books being sufficiently accurate and sufficiently directed, full, and complete, let's say, to do what they're intended to do. And I think that what's intended to do is to help us understand more about ourselves, more about God, more about the relationship between the two in the context of the world we live in. That's what this book is about. That's what this book is helping us to do. 
And so what you see, and I'm referring to actually to the discovery of the full Isaiah scroll in, I guess it was 47, but I don't think we really figured it out until the mid-50s, uh, in the, 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 the Dead Sea Scrolls, the, the Qumran communities. So in other words, up until you know, uh, whatever it was, 55, 54, when these, this Isaiah scroll was actually taken out and, and, and examined by someone with enough skill to know what he was looking at. We had Isaiah as a composite. It had been put together. It's like, it's kind of like puzzle pieces, but you got pieces that overlap. You got pieces from different, uh, timeframes from different locations. And you've got these scholars who are saying, what is this in this particular case, what is this book of Isaiah? What should be there? What's missing? Where does it fit together? How do we piece it together? How do we make it whole and complete as, as perhaps one day, it, you know, in the past it was, when it was maybe originally composed or composed in writing from the oral, however it went. And one of the you know, most fascinating things about text criticism um, that, that I know of is the fact that this scroll that was understood for what it was in the mid fifties turned out to match with, with very near to perfection. What we had at that point as Isaiah. Wow. Yeah. And that, that that's exactly the right response. Whoa. So, I mean, does that mean God exists? No, I don't <laughs> think that alone proves God exists, but it's enough to make you stop and think. What right? are the chances? Yeah. It's enough to make you stop and think. And, and, and as, a, as a Christian, I do hold that, that, that God is involved and was in, has been involved in the kind of the coming together of this text. And that's a faith position. But I think I've also got some good evidence to ground that on. Not sufficiently so that there's no faith, but that's where I stand. So do you, when, so bringing this back to mm. the Bible being inspired, where does the where did the where do you see the inspiration happening and what exactly does that mean well i think that's a couple of levels you know there's writing that goes on there and then there is there is the canonization process that took place in the 3rd and 4th centuries right which is a process of recognition then i think that you know the inspiration could also be down to a process of preservation right in other words it's not just what was written because there are a lot of things written. You know, there's the Coptic gospel, the gospel of Thomas. And the more I know about some of these other gospels, the more I think, yeah, these are really off base. They really do not fall in line. Now, they were written about Jesus. They had full intention, I think, based on, you know, what I can tell. The author wasn't, you know, writing, it wasn't, a, it's the same genre, if you like was the same intention. I'm telling a story about Jesus, but we, we, we put these into the category of, uh, you know, historical religious writings. We don't put them into the category in Christian terms or, yeah, well, in this case, in, in, in Christian terms of scripture, right? They don't fall into the New Testament corpus. So, you know, was it just that the people who... Um, were part of that canonization process, that process of filtering, said, oh, the, well, this is obviously out. You know, this obviously doesn't matter. Or, or was there some sort of, you know, um, input in terms of how, uh, you know, having people who are sufficiently versed in the story of 
Jesus, who were sufficiently versed in the kind of trajectories that were coming up again and again in certain texts, and then able to to discern that those texts, those um, trajectories aren't appearing here or here or here. And so, you know, these ones aren't in and these ones are in. So I, I would say that, you know, it's both, but I want to be really careful about this whole idea that, you know, you, you copied me something from, from Josh McDowell and I just think, yeah, this is, this is terrible. <laughs> Honestly, this is terrible. I just did a simple search before we started about what, see what I could find out there. What, what, what do you think is terrible about it? Well, I think this idea that every single word, you know, and, and we have to be, is, is, is somehow exactly as it should be. No, I don't think so. I think we, you've, you've totally, you see, to do this is to back away. This is the exact opposite of what McMooney is doing. And both of these perspectives are pushing the pendulum, if you like, one to one extreme, one to the other extreme. But what we're getting away from is the possibility that life and the Bible are sufficiently related that the pendulum kind of sits around in the middle, right? There's a relationship between real life here. And what what Mick is, what I'm taking from Mick is that, you know, there really isn't a wrong. Yeah, there are wrongs. You can get the gospel wrong. You can absolutely get this wrong. You can absolutely put things in, take things that, that shouldn't be there, take things out that should be there. And you can misunderstand things. And much of the argument, let's say that N.T. Wright, I mean, I just recently read his um, How God Became King, and, and he's arguing very strongly for this, that there are certain better ways to read the Gospels and certain worse ways to read the Gospels, so that when we come up with what is the Gospel, the story of Jesus that is considered to be euangelion, the good news— we have essentially the same core here that we might present in different ways, that we might present with different tempos, that we might present with different emphases, depending upon when, where, and to whom we're speaking. But we're not going to come suddenly have a different story, right? That's kind of my take on this. Well, pardon me, but your take's not important. The takes that are important are the synoptic gospels. At least Luke claims to be an eyewitness. I believe the others are making... I think there's a tacit claim in much of what's written, right? But there's this notion of we were present, we have seen, we are passing on, and we need this, right? We need this. There's a historical grounding, even in the fact that at that time, they're, uh, you know, these guys aren't writing historiography. They're not writing point by point, blow by blow, because if you compare them, there's differences, right? But if we come back to Josh McDonald, McDowell, pardon me, um, and this is something that he's written called, What Does It Mean, Comma, The Bible is Inspired, Josh McDowell Ministry. And I think that what we're, what we're missing here is that interpretation, so I'm going to agree with Mick now, right? I'm going to push back against Mick, you're going too far. But I'm pushing back against Josh, you're going too far here, is that interpretation takes place not on a word-by-word basis, it takes place on a sentence and on a story basis. Those are the units of understanding and meaning that we have. Now, can I understand a story if I swap out a couple words from here and put in a couple words over there? I, I probably can. You know, and in other words, is there such a degree of precision required for this process of understanding that one small slip up and you've screwed up? You are no longer in the right path. You're no longer in the right sphere. You're sliding away. 
you're um, presenting things in a way that that's you know de- detrimental to yourself, and you're 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 leading others astray. Um, I don't think it's quite that um, uh, precise. So right? bring us, I, bring come back though to what it means for scripture to be inspired by God. What is that? What what do you think that means? I think that means that God is putting forward God's interest to make this text sufficiently able, sufficiently clear or sufficiently robust. You know, and there are the, all these things are tensions. There's like tensions between clarity and robustness. I want this to be clear. All right, well maybe sometimes the clearest thing we can say about something is that it's complex. Oh, okay. So, you know, that means it's not going to be straightforward. No, I don't think it is straightforward, right? And I think the way that part of the the what we're seeing in terms of the the more recent uh you know, phenomenon beginning in the late 70s, but certainly blossoming now with this new perspectives on Paul, is that, no, it's not totally straightforward. We've got certain understandings that have come down from people who have, you know, who are, are admittedly, they're, they're, they're bright and dedicated people, but they become venerated to the point that their views are the only views. And yet, what I'm seeing when I read some of N.T. Wright is that his exegesis is better that by and large, he's doing better things with the text. And by the way, he's sinking it into real life. It has connections and it works. It works with the whole story of, of the, the biblical text right through in this covenantal perspective. So I think the inspirational piece means that God has had a hand in this and that there has been a, a sufficient degree of balancing between somewhat opposed requisites, right? Like clarity and robustness, like diversity and unity, um, like um, earlier, what's said, what's said earlier and how that sort of relates to the, the time period, what's, what's said later and, and how that kind of is breaking off from the, the kind of... Uh, um, the cultural norms. So there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. This is a very, very robust uh, and very diverse text. And it's got, you know, enough clarity and it's got enough kind of uniformity that I think it's workable. So how about it, some of other Anna's other questions here? So like the next one is, do the stories within the Bible reflect the experiences of the writers as they experience God in their own journey? true experiences in parentheses, and thus can we say it is a gospel according to their own unique journey which was infused by God's spirit? On the face of it, that sounds pretty good, you know, but I think they're also, um, they're having that journey transformed, right? And there may be points of, um, of difference, of growth, of awareness that come. So in other words, I, I think some of what's written is probably written at the sake of the writer's. You know, what does so that when you, mean? Well, when you talked about David and David, you know, writing about... Oh, I brought that know, up before we started. Yeah, it was the idea that, you know, David writes about, like, wanting all his enemies to be killed and to be dead. And, like, mm-hmm. is that God-inspired? Well, I think David is in a relationship with God. There's no doubt about that in my mind. You know, and I get to some some of those points, too, where I would say that. And yet, we also have a a different modified, expanded, enriched perspective coming to us 
with the the testimony, if you like, of Jesus to who God is. God is somehow and and is 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 strikingly powerfully larger and different now than God was in terms of the relationship that David could have had with God. So, you know, does that mean that it was godly then to say, God, kill all my enemies? Uh, on the one hand, I don't think so. On the other hand, I don't know. You know, there's a lot in there about, uh, you know, Israel being dominant. And I will, I will, I will help you with, you know, other nations. I, I think there's only one situation that I know of. And I think we did some talking about this before. And I don't really go, want to go into it. Christopher Wright's done some, Christopher J. Wright has done some good work on this, as far as I know. So only one situation where it's actually been a case of, um, you know, an entire nation being destroyed, like a, a sort of a genocide situation, right? And all these other situations are, the, the, this is ancient Near Eastern terminology, like saying, you know, current today terminology for beating someone or conquering someone might be kicking their butts. Well, no, no one went up and put a boot to someone's, you know, buttock, that, that's not what it means. We've misunderstood <laughs> that. And so, um, in all of these other cases, you know, and you see this with, with the Hittites and with the Egyptians in terms of their own recounting of their, their, their sort of, uh, you know, conquests and, and, and their achievements militarily, right? You'll see these, you know, we decimated and da, 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 da. And then we dealt with the inhabitants this way. Well, hold on. What do you mean? Well, what they mean is it's an exaggerated hyperbole used to sort of indicate their, their sort of, um, you know, complete superiority in this military achievement and n not this sort of sense of annihilation that we might, you know, the words that the words literally mean. So, yeah, I guess our own experiences are in there. I, I guess to be honest with you, John, I'd have to think a little bit more about some of these questions. Um, yeah, because cause then she kind of goes further to say, you know, is it possible that we, because each of us have, paraphrasing here, because each each of us have different experiences, we we need each other. Yeah, well, I think that's true, right? Because that would come back to this whole idea that there there are certain understandings of the biblical text that I think are better understandings. We might have three or four ways of seeing a given text. And, 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 you know, I'll make my own personal arguments for which of those three or four I think are best. So it's like, it's kind of like a game of Sudoku where you, you're putting all of this together and you're kind of trying to, you know, work, well, what are the better interpretations here and here and here? But, um, you know, we're not wandering out into these, into these areas where, you know, we're dealing with some, one of these 14 or 40 types of interpretations. And, and in the same way, I guess, you know, there's the, the part about experience. Now, does that mean that anybody's experience is just as good as anybody else's? And I would say, no, it doesn't. Right? So, in other words, where I have a particular... But it, means, um, but it doesn't mean we don't value it or give it some consideration. Right, but, but I think it means that our, our experiences are open to both affirmation by the text and critique by the text. And our... So, you know... If, if I have an experience of God that says, you know, God is interested in me blowing up abortion clinics. God is interested in me killing infidels. I mean, I'm using terminology that would not be used in Christianity. That's more of a Muslim terminology. But is it interested in me, um, I, I, I don't know, be having taking out uh, a vendetta against men who force women into prostitution and killing those men, let's say. Then, 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 you know, and I have a certain experience that God's indicating this to me. 
And I, my, my response would be, I don't think that's God. Yeah, so, I mean, I value that whole piece about experience. And you know, we've talked about the eagle a lot here. And, you, you know, so a lot of it too is, well, something happened today and this was really meaningful to me. And I think God's involved. And, and, and some of those claims, those kind of more nominal claims are things that, oh, okay, that's interesting. I'd like to hear more about that. But, you know, all of a sudden when we have um, an experience that, that who knows what it's like, it might be nebulous or maybe it's quite concrete and yet we're making some drastic claims. We need to be extraordinarily careful. And I would want to be sure that the things I'm claiming that are from God match a picture about God that I'm understanding from the biblical text. So I think my experiences of God can help me understand the biblical text better, but vice versa, the biblical text can help me weed out and filter out what's me and what's maybe, okay, this is something more to do with God. So the whole thing needs to be coherent. Well, yeah, and I think I think the whole what I'm what I miss what I think we're missing what Mick Mooney is missing here, and 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 a kind of an any overemphasis what I would de- call or how I would define an overemphasis on experience is the lack of critique. If you can't ex- critique your own experiences, if they can't be critiqued by other people, if you can't critique other people's experiences, if these are sort of sacred things that can't be touched and yet have this deep implicit meaning and, you know, the power, particularly where somebody else will say, well, this happened to me and and God wants you to know something, or I'm supposed to do something. And, you know, so there's a power that 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 experience somehow, um, an authority even, that it gives that person regarding my life or regarding somebody else's life, even regarding their own life. I'm quite dubious about that. I I want to have enough to say, hmm, okay, uh, you've made some sense there. I'm willing to think about this a little bit more. But otherwise, it's, you know, uh, we've all, I think most of us have seen films about, um, you know, the Inquisition and the the Dark Ages and uh, times when Christianity has been used to do horrible things because people uh, make comments about, you you know, what's the difference between God told me this and this is the way it is, and you, you know you're in league with the devil, and that's the way it is. What, what's there's not a lot of difference in our ability to kind of prove or disprove these things. This is it, we 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 wander into the realm of the irrational really really quickly, and I think the problem with the irrational is that it's often linked with the unethical. We often hurt people and get hurt ourselves and. So how so yeah. I think this kind of ties in though to Anna's other post which was about some of her own experiences that are somewhat mystical that that she has taken real significant meaning from that you know she doesn't share with other people because she knows that she'll be judged by them. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe without making specific comment, I Anna shared one of those with me. And we went back and, you know, kind of back and forth a little bit about it and, and kind of talked about it. And, and, and it was interesting to me that I, I don't have it right in front of me. And so I, all I'll say is um, it appeared to me that there was something, there was some some density to the content, that it wasn't a just sort of fluff, 
that it had a sort of legitimacy, you know, and would I say that about all of somebody's experiences? No, but, but I mean, Anna gave a lot of content and I took a lot of time, you know, going through that. And so, you know, I guess my question to Anna is, um, when, when she and I had that exchange, I don't know how many words I wrote, but I, I did a lot of reading on a particular, it was related to a particular verse and a particular sort of mental picture, mental image that, that, that she had. And there was a lot of dialogue about that. And I guess I wonder, first of all, how much dialogue are you getting with these other people? Right? So, and what are the expectations on both parts, her part and their part? Maybe when she passed it over to me, she didn't expect much. I don't know. But I thought, okay, I, you know, I'm being given this and I, I treated it as a gift. And I came back to Anna. You know, I wasn't going to hurt her feelings if I try to hurt her feelings or anything, but I wasn't going to say, oh, yes, this sounds great if I didn't think it did. And, and I did think that there was some substance to it. But I don't know that for most people, um, I don't know what they're putting in in terms of their time or the effort. You know, so what are you, you going to tell them? Uh, you know, I prayed... I was sick and I prayed and I got better. Well, okay, most people will take that. I find that maybe a bit questionable, but most people don't. But then you might have an experience where you say, you know, I don't know, I was out, I saw a movie, I was with a friend, and they told me a story, and I went home and I had a dream. And the dream seemed to take parts from the movie and parts from my friend's story, and it kind of went off in a particular direction. And I let, later told my friend about the dream. And my friend told me that this was actually, this was actually factual, that this sort of, sort of happened. And that there were a couple of parts in the dream where I wasn't sure, like a couple of doors, and I wasn't sure which one to go through, and they had different things behind them. And out of this, my friend, whom I'd been praying for, and this is, I'm not recounting Anna's experience, by the way. I'm totally making this up. <laughs> this, is, this is totally fictional. Right. Um, you know, my friend was able to really step back at this kind of really fork in the road in terms of life choices. And ultimately, the, the choice that they made, they were really satisfied with. And this really seemed to work out in a, in a really powerfully, you know, transformative way for them when things have been really going really negatively. And, and I was just really thankful. And, and so I, I don't know. I wonder if this is God acting to you know, through, through me and through the use of my imagination and creativity to nevertheless bring something true about some, someone and, and present that in a way that could be heard and allow that person the opportunity to make choices that maybe they wouldn't have had if they didn't, if I didn't talk to them about this and, and I didn't have this particular sort of dream and experience. You know, and I think that's really, that's quite significant. There's a lot of density there. Right. There's a lot to be picked over there. And I don't know that I'd I wouldn't want to hang my 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 hat on any of that stuff. Right. I wouldn't want to say as somebody hearing that story, oh, I've heard this story and therefore God must exist. You know? Um, or I've heard this story and therefore that's how God wants to do everything. So I'm not gonna act on anything, regardless of what it is, until I get a sort of a message in a dream. Or, oh gee, you know, God wants me to go see a movie every time I meet with a friend who's having a crisis. So I can be inspired by some <laughs> film or something. And I, I don't think that's a terribly crazy, I think of the, of all those things I said, that's the least 
that's the least wacky, right? You know, but I still don't think that that's what we should consider as constituting how God wants us to interact with people. So it's it's kind of making like drawing blanket conclusions out of these things or conclusions that are highly impactful uh, and sort of overstated. These are the things I find really doubtful. Are you still with me? I'm with you. I'm wondering <laughs> how we wrap this one up, though. Okay, well, I want to ask you some questions. So how satisfied do you feel with this whole idea of um, the inspiration of Scripture? And, and what what was bugging you or what was uncomfortable about it before? And And is there any more comfort now? I think it's about the same. I think what I was, and, and again, maybe maybe that's just, I'm my baggage, you know, I'm getting triggered. But mm-hmm. it, it ties into, I know I was going to mention it a little earlier and I didn't, but just we've talked about before how the Bible is used as a magic cookbook. Mm-hmm. And it's given its legitimacy as a magic cookbook because it's, quote, inspired by God. Hmm. Completely leaving out the whole interpretation piece. The right. assumption being that this whoever is just doing a a plain honest reading of what's there and they're not bringing anything to the text mm-hmm. which as we've discussed a number of times is impossible yeah so that might yeah that was my connection to the inspired by the bible being inspired by god part okay hmm. and so what do you think about i mean you've asked me these questions what, what do you think about my answers I'm satisfied. <laughs> no, I'm like I'm turned to. I'm like, wait, wait, we talked about a lot of stuff here. So, what? Let me see. No, I no. I mean, I think why well, would have raised my objections as we went. So, okay, okay, good enough. Because I I think I took more airtime and it was a little bit. Sometimes I get a little heated on some of this stuff, and I was a little just <laughs> stream just going. And I <laughs> wondered if I boxed you out too much. No. Okay. All right. Well, anything else? No, thanks for the thanks for the discussion. This is really good, and thanks to Anna for raising this. And and we'd be bring glad some to more have, Anna yeah. or anybody else. Well, we had a couple other comments. Amy Amy uh, uh, com- chimed in too, and just kind of resonated with what Anna was saying. So yeah, please keep commenting. Thanks for listening to the Untangling Christianity podcast. Notes and links for this episode are at untanglingchristianity.com. We welcome your thoughts and comments both at the website and our private Facebook group. If you'd like to join the private Facebook group, let us know your email address in the sidebar of the website to receive notes and links for each episode, and we'll send you an invite to our private group. Or you can send your thoughts or requests to join the group by email. Send those emails to feedback at untanglingchristianity.com. Music on this podcast is made possible by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com and is licensed under a Creative Commons license. Tune in next week for a new episode.